We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Before we begin the show, I want to tell you guys about Blue Wire Hustle, a brand new program where you can host your very own podcast right here at Blue Wire. Hustle was created to give everyone the opportunity to take your podcast to the next level. Or if you want to host a podcast and just don't know where to start, Hustle is the perfect place for you. As part of the program, you'll receive personal cover art, Q&As with Blue Wire's top podcasters, access to our community Discord, and an e-learning course full of tips and tricks. And on top of that, we'll help you get your show pushed out to Apple, Spotify, Google, Stitcher, and all other listening platforms. And the best part is, you can get all of this for only $15 a month, the same rate as any other hosting site would charge you for the initial setup. So whether you're starting from scratch or have an existing show that you want to grow, Hustle is an open door to leveling up your sports podcasting experience. Acceptance into the program is limited. So get your application in today. To apply, go to bwhustle.com slash join. Check out the description box for this episode to find out more. That's bwhustle.com slash join. Hello? Corona, Cincinnati. You play to win the game. It was all that Dan Marino's fault. Everyone knows that. When it's too tough for them, it's just right for us. Rockpile Report, AFC East Roundup, hosted by Bill's season ticket holder, Drew Gear, a part of the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I totally see this a different way uh, than Tim. Listen, if I can get Deshaun Watson, I don't give a damn who your sophomore quarterback is. I'm going to get him because he's a known commodity. The second thing is, I guarantee y'all, if I came in as a rookie and Richard Seymour was available, Dallas would have had my butt in New England and, and Richard Seymour would have been with the Dallas Cowboys. So that's the nature of the beast. And that's the part for young players, which is fortunate but unfortunate that you deal with the issues of business. And when guys come available, you go through that situation. Look at Jacoby Brissett in Indy when Phillip Rivers had the opportunity to come. Jacoby thought that that was going to be his opportunity. Tua is still young, impressionable, moldable. He has a, the ability to go and galvanize guys that's in those locker rooms because he's that type of dude. Um, and I know he he wouldn't want to get traded, but he has to understand that based on what Deshaun Watson has done and what we've seen from him, that you are absolutely going to be in the conversation based on where your team stands with their ability to try to get a generational player in which I think Deshaun Watson is. Welcome, everybody, back to another edition of the AFC East Roundup Podcast. I'm your host, Bill Season Ticket Holder Drew Gear. That's my producer, Chris Kruger. And that was the melodious voice of known bloviator Marcus Spears on how he feels about how the Dolphins should approach the Deshaun Watson saga over there on ESPN. Folks, the final installment of our Around the Horn AFC East Roundup offseason preview. And we're talking Miami Dolphins today. Now, just as we do to kick off every one of these, we have some standings and some stats of note for the 2020 Miami Dolphins. They finished the season 22nd in passing touchdowns scored, second in passing touchdowns allowed. 
first in the NFL in turnovers and third in overall turnover margin, 20th in yards per pass attempt, 25th in net yards per drive, and 27th in net plays per drive. Chris, you're not exactly a football rocket scientist. Do you think those are great numbers? Uh, I would say no. Well, here to talk to us about him is our weekly guest over at the AFC's Roundup Podcast, Mr. Elf Artiaga of Three Yards Per Carry. How are you doing, sir? Great. You sound thrilled. Although, yeah, <laughs> although listening to those numbers, it just tells you how good our defense is and how bad our offense is in comparison. <laughs> now, we are entering the 2021 offseason, which for the Miami Dolphins is enormous. It really is. And I think that you guys, especially over at three yards per carry, have to be pretty amped up because draft season is kind of your baby, right? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I mean, that's that's the wheelhouse of the three yards per carry podcast. You guys have a ton of draft content, even stuff that Bills fans, Jets fans, Patriots fans, it's all relative at this time of year because player previews, in-depth scouting and things like that, it, it does kind of translate from one team to the next, don't you think? Pretty much. Yeah, especially if you're going for the same positions. It really does translate. Well, this is this is to start all these conversations. Usually what we try to do for each team, you start every conversation because just trying to identify offseason expectations. I mean, this is the time of year when NFL fans are kind of coming to terms with the realities around their favorite teams. And they start to frame what's reasonable to expect and what's not in the upcoming offseason. Miami is in a really interesting place as of today. The team is undeniably more talented as they are currently constructed, even with the numbers that we just read off, than any previous iteration of the Dolphins going back to, and I would argue with I would argue with anybody about this, to back before the Tony Sperano, Chad Henney era. I mean, the team that made the playoffs and won the AFC, AFC East, this is probably the most talented team you've had since then, correct? Easily, oh, easily, yeah. and it's not, and it's not particularly close. And the team is flush with draft capital. They add more young talent, or potentially trade for established veteran talent to kind of augment a team that was one week seventeen victory away from a playoff berth last season. And then they're young at a number of key positions, specifically offensive line, quarterback. And I think that that actually played a role in last year's up and down play. Would would you also agree that that's probably true? Well, yeah, the team was really, really young. The team actually had one 30-year-old on the entire roster, and that was the quarterback, Ryan Fitzpatrick. And it seems like he could be gone this year. So they'll have one 30-year-old this year with Kyle Vinoy as he turns 30 years old during the season. So, yeah, the team is young. And... You know, the team doesn't know what it doesn't know. It doesn't have a lot of experience. So all of that was new last year for them. So now in terms of what the Dolphins as a franchise can look to accomplish this offseason before they start preparing their roster to go to camp, what are some reasonable benchmarks for what you think should be possible for the franchise this summer? What are some places that you think they can improve upon? Well, they need weapons. Uh, to begin with, they need weapons. And they're being tied to, I don't know if you watch on, on Twitter, but they're being tied to basically every single free agent everywhere. Everybody wants to play here. You know, it's a good place to be rich. And the <laughs> Dolphins have some cap space. They just don't have a, enough cap space for all of these guys. The latest guy is Aaron Jones, running back for the Green Bay Packers. Uh, supposedly, the Dolphins would be in on him, and he has interest in joining the Dolphins problem there is how expensive he's going to be and paying that much money for a running back is not something that you know usually teams that are rebuilding especially on one side of the ball like they have to just to well so chris you'd love to you'd love to work somewhere where you didn't have to pay taxes and you also never had to shovel your driveway right I actually don't mind shoveling uh, the driveway. That's one of my favorite things to do in in winter. Although, since I am in an apartment, the people upstairs have to take care of the driveway and not me. So, it's a little annoying. But I do get to go to my girlfriend's house and use her snowblower on her driveway. Do you hear this lunacy? The man's talking about enjoying snowblowing. Chris, nobody, nobody likes snowblowing. 
but you can see where some people might enjoy that. Here's the question, Elf. Do in your experience watching the free agency play out, has there been a track record or a history of players maybe taking a little bit less to come play in a place where, I mean, people, I think, make too much of the weather. I think the tax concessions, <laughs> the lack of an income tax has way more to do with that than anything else. Have mm-hmm. you seen that? Is there a history of players maybe taking a little bit less money to come play in an environment like that? Well, you would think so, right? It's happened in basketball some, but I I, I, I don't remember the last time it's happened in the NFL. Usually in the NFL, guys really do sell themselves to the highest bidder. Now, sometimes you get a bargain on a, on, on a player, but, you know, somebody's bargain is somebody else overpaying. So we really don't know. We've just never seen it. So if it happens this year, it'll first of all, it will be strange because we have uncertainty in as far as the, the salary cap. We don't know. If it's going to be $10 million less or if the TV partners are going to come up and make up the shortfall. So we just really don't know. And that could also create a cascade effect of really good players that are on the final years of, of their deals becoming available. And then you, you could have the entire league bidding on really, really good players for one-year deals until the salary cap gets resolved the following year. That would that, that would that be, could be really interesting. I think that would be really interesting. You would essentially have an auction for really good players on the final years of their deals. See, and that's crazy to me because then there's teams who kind of maybe fell backwards. Like, th- picture the New York Jets or a team like maybe the Patriots. Maybe they're the best candidate for this. A team that's used to being competitive every year, but you know they they, they don't really have the star power right now to go anywhere in this division. But all of a sudden, all of these players come up that are eligible for one-year contracts, and they are just sitting there third overall in the NFL with cap space. You could quickly build a competitive team that way. Yes. It really could well, reshape. Hypothetically, right? Hypothetically, yeah. It could really reshape things. Down in South Beach, you guys probably sit somewhere on the middle. Middle. I mean, you're in the middle of the pack in terms of teams that have cap space. There's a shocking number of teams that just don't have any which is hysterical to me. Um, <laughs> I mean, I I hate Mickey Loomis. Uh, we talked about it. He, I feel like Mickey Loomis has been uh, the Pablo Escobar from Narcos when it comes to hiding from the salary cap and the ramifications of it. And he somehow managed to always stay one step ahead of just disaster. And I think that this might be the year that he just can't outrun it. <laughs> I'd like to see him get some comeuppance for just constantly finding ways to skirt the cap. But for the Dolphins, in terms of offensive consistency, now, as evidenced by the stats at the top of the show, from one drive to the next, Miami was just wildly inconsistent. How much of that do you think the team is going to look at and say, our young players are going to grow and they're going to make up some of that shortfall? How many moves do you think they're going to be capable of making to really impact those statistics? Well, they have a lot of ammunition. Uh, first of all, they have free agency, of course. And then they're going to have the draft. They have two first-round picks. They have two second-round picks. you got to figure that out of those four picks, maybe three go on the offensive side of the ball and probably for skill players. So, yeah, they have the ammunition to fix all these problems. And we talked about it on a previous show. Like, their problems mostly were on the offensive side of the ball. And they have some ri- ridiculous stats to show it. Uh, supposedly they had two of the top five least separated wide receivers in the NFL, but their quarterback, actually both of them, Ryan Fitzpatrick and Tua Tungabailoa, were both in the top five as far as making tight window throws, which is odd in and itself. So that just shows you that they just weren't working with much on the outside. They're definitely going to have to do, I wouldn't say a complete overhaul, but if they replace half of the wide receiver core, that's probably a start. On the defensive side of the ball, just looking over your list of free agents, I don't see any glaring names. There's nothing that jumps off the page to me. I mean, I think the biggest two names I saw were Garuja Hill and uh, Landon Roberts. And I don't know that they were exactly the straw that stirred the drink for you guys. So with that in mind, how confident are you that if your team does go all-in heavy on offense... Your defense can easily replicate, or at least within reason, replicate 2020's performance. 
Oh, I think they can, uh, and I think they can because of how their the defense is powered. It's powered basically behind the interior defensive line and their their secondary. <laughs> but they do need to replace Alana Roberts because Alana Roberts became kind of important in their base sets, and because a lot of teams just basically figured out, you know what, they have a really good secondary. So what we're going to do is we're going to spread them out and we're going to run it at them. So the Dolphins' counter was to play Landon Roberts as a as a middle linebacker, and he was actually pretty good in that role toward the end of the year. He is injured. He's a free agent to bring him back on some type of one-year deal because you got to remember uh, he got injured at the end of the season. He didn't play in the Bills game. He got he basically fell apart in the Raiders game. He had a knee injury and a shoulder injury in that game. Jesus. And supposedly the knee injury looked really bad, although the Dolphins will never tell you what it was. But it did look bad. He was carted off the field. So who knows if he's even available to play this year? Well, for all the holes you guys you have, you do to have to replace him. Oh, for sure. I mean, it would, that sounds that sounds brutal. And at the same time, if he is an important key to that, then that's that's one of those things. Chris, we talk about it all the time over on our other podcast, the Rockwell Report, about when we're talking about the roster. There's guys who you maybe you don't think of as a star player, but they're really important to what you do. And then every now and again, when they're not there, you find out how, or when they make a, a splashy play, you find out how important they really are. I, I think a big example of that would be a guy like Teron Johnson. Yep, that pick six. If you come into the 2020 season, nobody put Teron Johnson as being a player in the Bills secondary who was of a ton of importance. There was probably a lot of fans who did, looked at him and said, well, I don't even, not that we don't know what you do here, but... You've got a checkered injury history. Your play isn't always the best. You're physical, but you're small. You're okay. Well, then down the stretch in meaningful football games, you found out that Teron Johnson stepped up and played a massive role for you because when no one can throw at Trey White and when you're getting decent cornerback to play, teams almost have to try to pick on your linebackers and slot corner. So if you have a slot corner who can prove to be opportunistic, it changes the way your whole defense operates. And if a Landon Roberts is that guy for you guys, that's interesting to hear that there might be a hole there to fill in your base defensive sets. But it's not like yeah, he was a counter. He was a counter that Brian Flores went to and actually worked out, you know, toward the end of the year. Because for a while there, that's how how teams were getting over on the Dolphins' defense was just running against their nickel and dime sets. Well, and I feel like a lot of teams are susceptible to that. Luckily for you guys, when you talk about salary cap and draft pick situation, you guys. We talked about the Jets last week, Chris, with all of their cap space, and we said it was like Groundhog Day. <laughs> in the fact that this will be the second time in, I think, three years or four years that they've gone into an offseason with a ton of draft capital and a ton of cap space, but it, they're the Jets. Do you trust them to get this right? Probably not. Meanwhile, you've got the Dolphins, who I don't think the Dolphins have ever had this much going for them in this regard. I mean, I don't think any team in the AFC has this much firepower, maybe in the NFL, in terms of draft capital and cap flexibility as the Dolphins do. What are you, first of all, what are the odds that you think they'll draft with each of those draft picks? I, I got to think that they're going to try to monetize that third overall pick. And they could get lucky here. The Jets could go off the board and not take a quarterback. And if they do that, then the Dolphins are going to be flush with picks because they're going to be able to sell that third overall pick for a ransom. But let's say that the Jets stay in in what everybody else is thinking, you know, and they stay in character and they take Zach Wilson. I still think that for the third quarterback on the board, it's still valuable. So the Dolphins can get a haul. And if they don't get a haul, at very at the very least they're going to get to move down maybe four or five spots and get a really good player, but probably add another first round pick in 2022 and that'll make three consecutive seasons with two first round picks so you know they're in a really really good spot well that's one thing that i i laugh about because and i'm not going to throw i'm not going to name names because that's embarrassing but there's people and i'm sure miami the miami fan base has them too people out here in the bills fan base who will put out mock drafts they love the mock draft simulators you're you're talking about yourself right now no, yeah, yeah. I like mock drafts the same way most people like pink eye. That's that's how that goes. Um, and these people will take these mock drafts 
trading back has been something we talked about it last week with Dean Kindig about how it seems like the Bills, just based on their scouting patterns, might be preparing themselves for a trade out of the first round completely. And that makes sense because you're inheriting some extra mid-level picks. But then there's some people who don't understand how the money works in the NFL who are like, oh, if we just keep trading back, we can draft this player and this player. And if we trade back in the third, we can get five more players. And it's... There, I've seen mock drafts where they have the Bills drafting eleven players, and the thing That's people don't, and the, well, the thing people don't understand is you have to pay all of them. You have to pay for all of those contracts, and Absolutely. The, and so when I look at the Miami Dolphins, I see a team that I mean, you guys have thirty five million in cap space, the number three overall pick, and six picks in the top one hundred. If you were to take all of those, and then sign and then sign the rest of your draft class. It would eat up a significant amount of your cap space. It might be the yes, thing. It, would. That, it might be one of the things that precludes you from going out and getting an Aaron Jones or some of these offensive weapons that you guys are so desperately coveting. So, since you're a betting man, I know you like to gamble a little bit here and there. What do you think the odds are that the Dolphins don't trade <laughs> at least at least one, if not two, of their early first and second round draft picks? Okay, odds that they don't trade them? Odds, odds that they stand pat and draft all six of those. I mean, is it, it that has to be kind of I'll remote. go plus, plus 450. Okay. Ah. So, yeah, I don't think that's happening. I don't think that. I think number 18 is something that they're probably earmarking, and that's a pick that they're not trading. Because I think that that's right in the sweet spot for a lot of the players that would really greatly benefit them. Especially if they don't take an Aaron... Aaron Jones and free agency. Najee Harris fits right there at 18. Worst case scenario, you have Travis Etienne dropping to 18. Maybe Jalen Waddle falls to 18. So, you know, it's that's a sweet spot. So I consider 18 probably a foregone conclusion. They're going to use it. Now, number three, yeah, like I said earlier, I think they monetize that. They try to get a haul for it. My favorite is when you said plus four fifty. I looked at Chris's. I looked at Chris to see his reaction because here's what we love. We made a whole segment on our Rockpile Report podcast about Chris's just terrible intuition for gambling. He's the guy who likes to make prop bets, but he can't just. He's never satisfied with like not prop bets, parlays. But he'll go to the he'll go to the to the there, sports book. Well, there is a stretch this year with college football. I want to say over like. Seven of eight weeks in a row that one that one I won like five hundred and eighty dollars, but then the other like six weeks I had one wrong in my parlay. But he'd parlay like five games and he'd win all of them but one every single week, but the one he lost would always end up being one of the worst beats of the week. It's like he, he like they're magnetically attracted to this guy. He is the mush from Brooklyn, from a Bronx tale. He's the mush. Yeah, on the three yards per carry, on the three yards per carry account for the for about two years, we had a sponsor. Uh, they're no longer with us. We replaced that sponsor with somebody else. We repl- replaced them with my bookie, but that sponsor uh, wanted us to you know pick games. So I'm the one who who gambles on football. So I decided to pick all the Thursday night games for two years. And my record for the two years was like twenty-seven and five or something like that against the spread. So wow. I was killing it. But I used to give away the wacky parlay every week, which was an eight-game parlay against the spread, or I would pick either against the spread. <laughs> that's Im- that's, that's impressive. Awful. The one the one week where I did win college football and I won like five hundred and eighty-five dollars. So I bet all college football games. So Sunday morning, I went back to pick up the winnings, and then I was like, well, I'll just put another $40 parlay down on some NFL games. And, again, all but one, and the one I got wrong was the Hale Murray. <laughs> he bet on the bills, and of course it blew up yeah. in his face. I would I would have walked away at that like with like a thousand dollars that weekend. Elf, he was the guy who was on the wrong end of Coastal Carolina BYU. Wow. Yeah, that's what I mean. Though he doesn't put any nuanced research. He doesn't look at like the lines and the odds and things. He just goes in there and just shoots from the hip, and then he's shocked that he. I do a little, a little research. But so, with that in mind, would you say it's almost impressive that he's ma- he's managed to hit seven out of eight most of the time? 
Yeah, no, that's that's insane. When you can do that, you, then you start thinking to yourself, you know, maybe I should, you know, cut down on these on these parlays and not try to play them all, and just maybe try to go for a fourteen parlay or maybe a five team parlay and not eight. But yeah, for two years we came, I came pretty damn close to hitting one, you know, and I, but I never had really a bad beat except for one time, and it was because after a while I started thinking, you know what, this is too impossible. I'm really going to handpick these eight games. And I started using some college games. And I started going even deeper into like the Thursday night college games where I, I was pretty good. Where there's, you know, there's some trends that you can follow. Mm-hmm. And, you know, those trends tend to hold up. And I remember it was a Louisville game. And for whatever reason, they were headed into overtime and they get the ball back. They get the ball back with like 15 seconds left. And if you go to overtime, remember what happens in college football. You mm-hmm. know, the over is going to come in. Yep. And I remember that there were there were seven points from the over. And I was thinking to myself, well, this thing goes to overtime here. I'm made. Well, Louisville complete, completed a pass over the middle for like 38 yards, and they tried a 47-yard field goal, hit it at the end of regulation. The over did not come in. The <laughs> under came in because there is no overtime. And down went the eight-game parlay. <sighs> I, that was the only bad beat in two years, but it was a pretty damn good one. Yeah, see, I, I, I stopped gambling on sports. Uh, we actually talked about it on one of these podcasts. Um, I have experience both as a gambler and as a uh, half-assed bookie. And in both scenarios, I lost my ass on separate in separate situations. Um, there was one yeah, since week- COVID has started, it's gotten a little bit weird as far as betting sports. So I've cut down considerably. The only big wins I've had, like in you know since COVID started, was that heat run. But that was more like you know I knew something that nobody else really knew. You know what I mean? Oh, for it was sure. Down here in Miami, we kind of knew like this this team is pretty good and could catch a streak. See, and I've got guys who won't so take my... I hit a couple of series bets, and that was it. I've got guys who won't take my bets on football anymore because once in a blue moon, I would call them because I'd see a line that I couldn't ignore, and I would try to roll like $500 on it. And then I'd win, and they'd just be like, you know, you're a piece of shit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, you took it. You could have turned me down. Ugh. I digress. Chris, plus 450. You let me know if by the end of the show you want some action on that. I might be willing to get in on it. $35 million in cap space doesn't sound like a lot, but we've talked about it over the last few weeks, uh, just about the salary cap in general. There's a lot of fake cap numbers out there. You know, kind of like the Buffalo Bills, right now we showed under $5 million. But with just a handful of moves, which our GM has actually, a lot of which he's made in the past, he's made similar restructures and renegotiations, the Bills could easily have in the high 40s. It all just depends on how aggressive they want to be in going for a championship run in the next two years. How, I don't study the Dolphins' cap. How much additional cap space do you think the Dolphins could free up if they did decide to be really aggressive in this free agent period? Well, we have a beat writer down here, Armando Salguero of the Miami Herald, and he put out a piece where he essentially was just you know slicing and dicing the roster and he created an additional $28 million in cap space. But I looked at it, and a lot of those things were not moves I would make. For example, cutting Bobby McCain, our free safety, is probably not a good idea. Okay? This is a guy who really took to the position, who was the captain of the secondary, and who kept everybody in, and basically had everybody in the right positions for the entire season. So that's not a guy that would. I don't think it would be smart cutting him because you would have to replace him, and to replace him would probably cost you exactly what he makes, which is not much. So I don't think that's a good idea. And the rest is just not you know not keeping some special teams guys and try to fill you know fill in with undrafted free agents or late draft picks. Are there any are there any impending free agents that you feel like the Dolphins have to have, or that hey we have to keep player X? That's an interesting question because we went over this on our podcast and we really didn't pound the table for anybody. The guy we would like to keep is Vince Beagle. He got injured in the preseason last year. Well, not in the preseason, but in camp last year he got injured. But he's a really nice situational pass rusher. 
that we didn't have this year. And you're thinking, you know what? If you could add this guy to this defense, and he's going to be cheap, you know, maybe he could really pay some some dividends. So Ben Spiegel's the guy that I, we would want to keep. Uh, the other one that that seems kind of important is Ted Karras, our center. But he seems like if you believe Sport Track, Sport Track says he's going to ask for about ten million dollars a year. If that's the case, he could go play for ten million dollars elsewhere. <laughs> ten million dollars for Ted Karras. As I live and breathe. As I live and breathe. He's a nice player, not that nice. It is interesting, though, that you guys are the only team, maybe the Jets. You're the only team in the AFC East with no massive impending free agent losses. I mean, you look at you look at what's going on in New England. They have some losses coming, or at least some guys on their offensive line that they're going to have to address. Joe Tooney, David Andrews. Uh, they, they don't have a quarterback right now, so they're going to have to find a way to address that. They've got questions as far as what to do with guys like Gilmore, whether he's a trade piece or whether he's... Uh, there's just a lot of questions there. The Bills. The Bills have guys who are hitting free agency that, as we talked about in yesterday's show that aired, we don't... <laughs> There's a lot of things that have to get figured out before we even know whether or not it's reasonable to bring them back. So with the Dolphins being in this position with all the draft capital, all you know, enough cap space, you guys have a real opportunity here to field arguably one of the more competitive teams in the division. Is that a fair statement for me to make, sir? No, that's the well, that's the expectation. Uh, this past season, uh, it was popular for a lot of Dolphin fans to say, oh, all of this is gravy. You know, they won 10 games. Let's celebrate. That's not the way that they think it. They think in that building in Davy. And now, you know, they're moving to a new training facility in Miramar. So that's not how they think. Last year, they expected to win 10 games. They expected to be in the playoff hunt. I'm pretty sure nothing has changed for this coming season. So, yeah, expectations finally are here for this team and in this rebuild. Let's got like all be of those, you know, the, the, all that, all that, you know, cute young team stuff that ends this season. And that's got to be great as a Miami fan who's watched teams just flounder under poor coaching. <laughs> yeah, I would, I would say so. So there's still some storylines that have to get sorted out, though, like there is for every team before we really know what you guys are going to draft or where you're going to spend your money. And the biggest one, number one with a bullet is Deshaun Watson in this perpetual will he or won't he that just seems to go on and on and on. (laughs) It never ends. Hmm. Now, when you look at the numbers, I understand understand why Miami is linked to this. I understand. Like, we heard at the intro to the show, Marcus Spears talking about how if you're the Dolphins, you have to get this done. And I understand why a lot of the outsider community wants to look at the situation and say, out of all the teams who could be involved in a trade for Deshaun Watson, the Dolphins are the team that makes the most sense because you have the most to give up without hurting your current game day roster, without having to give up. I mean, even if you or if you did have to give up some, you know, because apparently the asking price is picks plus. If you did have to give up a Christian Wilkinson and uh, another player, Tua, pl- Tua plus a plethora of draft picks, with Watson at the helm, you still have cap space and draft capital to continue your building process, and you're still a good team with what you have on the field. So I get why people keep linking you to this. What are your feelings as far as Miami being involved in all this conversation? Well, I saw that you that you just repeated the Peter King trade, and he wanted the third overall in his hypothetical Watson trade. It was the third overall. It was Tua. It was Christian Wilkins. It was our first next year, and it was another second this year. If you add that up, and if you believe Tua is worth a first-round pick, and I believe that Christian Wilkins is not a mid-first-round pick because I think he's been fabulous, especially this past year. You're talking about four first-round picks and a second-round pick for Deshaun Watson. Like, I like the player. I think that Deshaun Watson's a nice player, but I don't I don't see why the Dolphins have to be the sucker in this. So, so you know, what's fair is fair. You know, if you want to if you want to work a deal around our two first-round picks this year and Tua, okay, well then that's something that can be talked about. But once you start mining our picks for 2022 and beyond, you know, I think that's a no-go. And like like we talked before 
in you know when we were before we went on the air you know if if it comes down to it and you have to give up all of these things just to get uh, Deshaun Watson it's easy to say yeah okay just do it but there is no evidence yet that Nick Casario is actually going to trade Deshaun Watson and in my opinion I think he's just going to face him down for the year and see if things change next offseason and if not then they'll trade him Man, see, that's a ballsy game of chicken, and it would be, I think if, I think what they're waiting for, as we talked about uh, in our last show yesterday, that aired yesterday, I really do believe that this is just them trying to bait some team into making a foolish decision to go all in, whole hog on some can't-say-no-to offer that no team should reasonably make. I think they're, they're banking on some desperation from teams who want to go compete now, and I I think the Bills are evidence that that model probably isn't the best, especially if you have a side of the ball that plays an elite brand of football. I mean, the the Bills were elite on defense in 2019 and we made the playoffs. The Bills were elite on offense this year and our defense took a step back and we made it to the AFC Championship game. I think that the Dolphins, there's evidence to say that if the Dolphins can get the same or similar performance out of their D and just tweak the offense a little, that's still good enough to get you places. And obviously you believed in Tua, right? Because you took him mm-hmm. with the fifth overall pick. If you yeah, didn't that's another that's him. another thing. Because <laughs> if if in the end you make that trade, you're talking about trading Wilkins, who was the thirteenth overall, trading Tua, who was the fifth overall, trading the third overall, then trading a twenty twenty two first round pick, and then trading a high second, which is the third overall this year, you know, I think that's enough to say, okay, we'll take Deshaun Watson, but then we're firing you, Chris Greer, which is our general manager. <laughs> because he would have spent four high first-round picks to fill the quarterback position, plus a second-round pick. I don't think that's acceptable. I don't think that's, I don't think that's a good job by a general manager. Oh, absolutely not. And so I guess that's the other – and there's another aspect of this which we talked about, which is – how long this waiting game takes. Because if you're one of these teams that, I mean, just, and this comes down to what you personally want or what you think the team should do. This, like you said, you could foresee a scenario where this Deshaun Watson saga drags out throughout this entire season. So if that's the case, how frustrated would you be to find out that your GM was so in on this idea that he could maybe obtain Deshaun Watson that he didn't make more timely moves at the free agency deadline or didn't make draft day trades because he was still holding out hope that if I have all this capital in my pocket, maybe I can land this player. And it actually precluded you guys from taking steps forward because you get hung up on the opportunity cost of getting a guy like Watson. How frustrated as a fan would you be? Uh, very frustrated. Although I will say this, Chris Greer has built a reputation here in the time that he's become the that he's been the general manager. I don't know if you know this, but Chris Greer has been here for a very long time, like fifteen years, I believe. But he's only been general manager for, in earnest, two years since Brian since Brian Flores was hired. So, in these two years, the evidence has been that any trade that he's made, he's basically gone out to win the trade. There's only one trade where he just, it looked like it was one of those YOLO trades where it was like, okay, look, here, just take this and we'll take your guy. And that was the Rosen trade. And that was because he had a surplus of second-round picks. Because at one point, he had made so many trades that he had four second-round picks. So he traded one for Josh Rosen. You know. Well, it goes back to what we're talking about. The flip side of that would have been, you know what? It would have been nice to keep all four first, second-round picks, you know? Oh, yeah. Well, But he traded one. Chris. Do the simple math. Hey, I have a second-round pick in my back pocket I'm not doing anything with. I could draft a guy who maybe makes my roster, or I could draft a guy who at quarterback who was just taken in the first round last year. Even if it pans out, or if it borderline pans out, quarterbacks are a commodity. Yeah. So right there, it's a, it's a calculated gamble. I think that's a smart trade. Yeah, so he hasn't really been reckless. I think to pull off this this Deshaun Watson trade, he would have to be reckless. So I don't see it. It's not in his character. So I wouldn't bank on it happening. 
The other thing that I think is interesting that a lot of just Bills fans and other fans around the AFCs might not be thinking about is what's going on on the offensive side of the ball for you guys. Now, your your offensive scheme and situation is probably going to dictate where who, the types of players that you pursue in free agency and in the draft. Differing attacks require differing styles. I mean, we saw that with Chan Gailey when he would alter his attack last season depending on who was under center for Miami. What do you know of your new offensive coordinators? And yes, for those of you listening, I said offensive coordinators because kind of like the office, the Miami Dolphins have decided to go with the uh, co-manager approach from the office. There's going to be two managers running the offense this year. (laughs) What do you know about their style of attack and how your current roster or the roster that you envision in terms of them going out into free agency and obtaining would fit that scheme? Well, what's interesting is that we had a, a COVID outbreak for the Cardinals game this year. When we played the Cardinals in Arizona, we had a COVID outbreak. And on the defensive side of the ball, it was just Brian Flores and I, th- I believe Gerald Alexander that were calling all the plays for the defense and doing all the substitutions. We, we essentially had just two coaches for the defense's side of the ball. And on the offensive side of the ball, the rumor was that George Godsey, one of the guys who's now, he's now the passing game coordinator and co offensive coordinator he ended up calling the plays that was a very productive game and the best game that he played all year for Tua Tungvaluwa so that's promising and the other guy Eric Studsville he's widely considered one of the best running running back coaches in the NFL and you know he's been rumored to have this job before it just so happens now he has it so I don't know I think this is something that Brian Flores hooked up and you know, he saw it work in the in the senior bowl and decided, okay, this is where we're going. If ever- because they did release to to the to Cameron Wolf of ESPN. They told Cameron Wolf of ESPN, all those guys that we interviewed, we could have had any of them. We chose to have this. So you got to believe them if they're they're actually that confident in actually saying that to an ESPN reporter. Th- that's true. Th- you got to give that some credence. Although, if you're Studisville. Are you a little pissed? Like, I, I've been in, talked about, been rumored as being an offensive coordinator. I finally get to have the title, and there's somebody else who has to share an office with me. That is odd. I, I completely agree. <laughs> that's compl- That's very, very odd, especially considering uh, he was offered the offensive coordinator job a couple of years ago uh, by the Denver Broncos, and he turned it down because we handed him, when Brian Flores came in, we handed him the co, I don't know what they call that, the... Um, Assistant head coach title. Assistant so, to you know. the head coach. I was going to say, which yeah. one of these guys is the assistant to the head coach? So we gave him that title. I guess it's just a way to to say, okay, okay, don't take that offensive coordinator job, but here's like an extra fifty grand a year, you know? Okay, and stay here. So, but he took it, and now he's co offensive coordinator. Well, with these two guys at the helm and what they envision this offense to be, if there's too big of a retrofit. Required to to kind of roll out what they envision this offense to be at least for a singular off season. Do you think that that might alter how the team approaches the off season in order of having to swap pieces out rather than actually building on what they already have? Is there any fear? Well, of that the, that's mind? a that's a great question because we talked about it on the podcast. Speculation is you know Eric Studsville has always been tied to a zone running scheme. If you look at our offensive line, they're massive. Everybody we've drafted, they're just big guys. They don't necessarily fit a zone running scheme. They, they're more of a power offensive line. So maybe there's some changes to be made there, which would mean essentially a new right tackle and Robert Hunt would kick in inside. So, you know, that's the speculation. But we just don't know. Like, we don't know what they're going to do because there is no track record there. See, and that's what's so interesting about what you guys have on the horizon, that I think Bills fans, Jets fans, like I said, Patriots fans who listen to this show have to be cognizant of. Now, everybody, before we wrap up here, every one of us has some selfish just wants, some things that you you look at and you say, I don't even care if this makes sense. I want it. (laughs) I mean, I, I do that when I go to the liquor store, when I go to the cigar shop. It happens when I go to the butcher shop. I don't need that prime brisket, but I'm getting it. I'm, I'm going to take that thing home. <laughs> What's some things this offseason that you look at and you say, 
got to have that. Or at least, man, it would be real tasty if we could land that. I think a legitimate star running back, at least a guy with a name, a real name, no bargain hunting, none of the stuff that we've been doing the last couple of years, you know, no no trying to hit hit big with a fourth-round pick. I'm talking about a running back in the first round or a free agent because – it was it was evident last year. Okay, if you wanted to be a power running team, you wanted to run the ball. You needed a guy that could make more yards after contact, and that was something that we just did not have. We yards mean, after after contact and you know run after the catch. Those were things that we just did not do last year. So you I mean, think we got to start somewhere, and we got to start with a, a running back that can break tackles. You mentioned Najee Harris earlier in the show, so we feel like. That's a guy you would want to target in the draft, but you just did. You did mention free agency. So, what are some who are some names that you want personally out of free agency at running back? I think it. I think they would be really, really, really smart to pass altogether on the running back position in free agency. Draft one in the in the first round with Najee Harris. It's going to be cheap. If you hit on a star there, you have him for five years. You basically get to run the treads off the tires. Okay, for five years. And then just let them go. You, All right. And you, you I think said, that would be really, really smart. You just said something that I've been thinking for the longest. Like, this is the thing. Every smart football fan is now realizing that we talked about it last year when we did our salary cap primer. We talked about how there's – I crunched the numbers, and out of 30 running backs that had over 1,000 yards or more than five or more than four touchdowns, all but eight of them were on rookie deals. Like, yeah. There's just no evidence that shows paying a running back makes any sense. So going out into the free agent market, unless you're buying a guy for a specific skill set, a guy who's just, hey, I'm fast. I'm the, who's the running back? Uh, the Frank Gore. No, the speed guy from the Rams. Henderson, I think maybe, Daryl Henderson. Yeah. Maybe, maybe you're getting a guy like that and you want him specifically because he has this one thing that opens up 10 plays a game that you think could be impactful. Great. Bring him in, but you're not paying him anything. He's on a flyer of a contract. And if you're paying him anything yeah, significant, I would be, you're an idiot. I would be extremely happy if in free agency they just went out and be, were really, really smart and signed a guy like Josh Reynolds, wide receiver from the Rams. He's highly productive. He's young. He's big, strong, really good blocker, physical player. Kind of fits their motif. Mm-hmm. And then I would actually go out and I don't think he's going to be too expensive because he's really – you got to figure he's at the end of it, meaning he's on the tail end of his career. But a guy like T.Y. Hilton, how attractive would it be to just to hand that guy a contract for a couple of years to finish out his career here in Miami? Well, I'll tell you this. He, we, played, he played college football. We as Bills fans got to watch what happens when you give a, a young quarterback who's still learning the position veteran targets. When you say, yeah. look, because you're talking about a rebuilding process of wide receiver, well, you don't want to surround him with rookies because they have their own learning curve. He's still on yeah. it. So the Bills said, hey, Josh Allen, you stunk in 2018. Let's get you a John Brown and let's get you a Cole Beasley. Oh, look at that. You know how to throw the football. Hey, we're going to take it a step further and we're going to go get you a Gabe Davis and we're going to go get you a Stephon Diggs. Oh, look at this. You're leading the AFC East in touchdown passes. It's you if you want your young quarterback to learn the ropes, you got to give them targets they can trust, and you can't trust rookies. That's, I think, probably one of the smartest areas of investment the Dolphins could make. Your, I completely agree. Your want of a running back is funny to me because I feel like we all have this psychosis. Teams that have had shitty quarterback play for forever, but have also throughout their history had star running backs, I think we all have like Stockholm Syndrome into believing that you have to have a great running back. <laughs> we watch teams every year go out and make the Super Bowl with free agent quarterbacks, uh, running backs, or at least kind of finds. You know, Ronald Jones isn't anything special. Leonard Fournette wasn't great until he got to Tampa, um, over the last few years anyway. You look at what KC was rolling out there. Le'Veon Bell was a shell of what he was, but they were in the Super Bowl. <laughs> And yet you have teams. Yeah, they, did draft, they did draft the running back in the first round, and Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. They did, and he. But throughout the playoffs, he didn't really produce. Like he wasn't healthy, no. and then even in the final weeks. So it's just funny to me that 
you're hearing it from the Bills fan base right now. You got to take if Najee Harris is there, if ETN is there at pick thirty, you have to take him. And I'm like, holy crap, what are we doing? It's because I think we've all been. You had your Ricky Williams. We had our Thurman Thomas. We had our Willis McGahee. We had our Marshawn Lynch. We've been beaten into submission to believe that your team can't be truly, truly successful unless they have a great running back. And I think that maybe your guy, you guys are in the same boat. Would you? Is that? Yeah, I I would absolutely agree. And for many years here, I was arguing with somebody. I wasn't really arguing, but I, I corrected the record. Somebody uh, on Twitter was saying, okay, this makes sense why Chris Greer would go out and pay for a running back because he can't draft them. And then I said, okay, check their draft history. Out of the last six running backs they've taken, five of them have worked out. You're talking about Lamar Miller. You're talking about Jay Ajayi. You're talking about Kenyon Drake. So these are guys that actually, Mike Gillisley, who was a pretty nice player and actually played for you for a little while. He was a nice player that we took like in the sixth round. So, I think you know, Steve they've Slayton, had though. some success. Not that, that Steve Slayton that uh, Houston drafted, and then you guys brought him in, and he just kept fumbling his way out of the NFL. <laughs> that guy. <laughs> yeah. you know, so they've had some success drafting guys late at running back. You know, But I propose that they do something different this time you know, and really seek to fix the position because it's necessary. As Especially we, when you're going to run an RPO. You have an RPO quarterback. You need a good running back. As we... Kind of, as we let you go here, I need you to finish this sentence for me. The Dolphins can win the AFC East in 2021 if this offseason they blank. They hit on the offensive side of the ball in free agency just like they hit on the defensive side of the ball in free agency last year. Fantastic. I can't wait to see how it pans out, sir. Why don't you tell everybody where they can find you on social and what you guys have coming up for draft season over at Three Yards Per Carry? Of course, on Twitter, you look at the our, our account. That's the the number three, Yards Per Carry. Check us out on there. And, of course, you can get our podcast anywhere you get your podcast. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Well, folks, that wraps up our around the AFC preview preview portion of the offseason. We're going to get back together with all of these guys after the free agent period to kind of dissect the train wreck that I'm sure this offseason is going to continue to be. I can't wait to do it, and we're lucky to have guests like Elf join us. Guys, it's been fun, but we got to get the hell out of here. I'm Drew Gear. That's Chris Krueger. That was Elf Artiaga. And this has been your AFC East Roundup.